Welcome back to Sermons. This is episode 61, and we're picking up the story at the beginning of Numbers chapter 27. Then came the daughters of Zeholophad, the son of Hefer, the son of Gilead, the son of Machir, the son of Manasseh, of the families of Manasseh, the son of Joseph. And these are the names of his daughters, Mala, Noah, and Hagwa, and Milcah, and Terzah. So Noah can be feminine as well as masculine, apparently. And they stood before Moses and before Eleazar the priest and before the princes and all the congregation by the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, saying, Our father died in the wilderness, and he was not in the company of them that gathered themselves together against the Lord in the company of Korah, but died in his own sin and had no sons. Why should the name of our father be done away from among his family, because he hath no son? Give unto us, therefore, a possession among the brethren of our father. And Moses brought their cause before the Lord. So these women first brought their case to Moses' court, and then Moses, uh, apparently not knowing what to do, kicked it upstairs. You know, the, this was something that wasn't covered by the existing law that had been handed down to him. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, The daughters of Zelophehad speak right. Thou shalt surely give them a possession of an inheritance among their father's brethren, and thou shalt cause the inheritance of their father to pass unto them. And, and that becomes a precedent. And the uh, Yahwehlians realized that the uh, body of law that they had given Moses had been uh, insufficient, hadn't covered every situation. And so they come up with some amendments to the law, which are laid out in the next few verses. And thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel, saying, If a man die and have no son, then ye shall cause his inheritance to pass unto his daughter. And if he have no daughter, then ye shall give his inheritance unto his brethren. And if he have no brethren, then ye shall give his inheritance unto his father's brethren. And if his father have no brethren, then ye shall give his inheritance unto his kinsman that is next to him of his family, and he shall possess it. And it shall be unto the children of Israel a statute of judgment, as the Lord commanded Moses. Now this seems like uh, this might be where the concept of next of kin originated. And the Lord said unto Moses, Get thee up into this mount Abarim, and see the land which I have given unto the children of Israel. And when thou hast seen it, thou also shalt be gathered unto thy people, as Aaron thy brother was gathered. So in other words, you can go up and see the promised land from a distance, but you can't go over into it. And then moreover, once you've seen it, you'll have to die. <laughs> you'll have to be gathered unto thy people like uh, what happened to Aaron previously when, uh, you know, the torch was passed to Eliezer. For ye rebelled against my commandment in the desert of Zin, 
in the strife of the congregation, to sanctify me at the water before their eyes, that is the water of Meribah and Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin. And that was, uh, if you remember, that was when Moses failed to follow Yahwehlian instructions to uh, bring forth water by speaking to the rock instead of, you know, striking it with his rod. Uh, Moses uh, reverted to what had worked for him before rather than following instructions. And that little incident uh, made both Moses and Aaron persona non grata as far as the promised land was concerned. And Moses spake unto the Lord, saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation, which may go out before them, and which may go in before them, and which may lead them out, and which may bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord be not as sheep which have no shepherd. So Moses is asking for his successor to be named, just as Eliezer was named Aaron's successor as the high priest. And the Lord said unto Moses, Take thee Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay thine hand upon him, and set him before Eliezer the priest, and before all the congregation, and give him a charge in their sight. And thou shalt put some of thine honor upon him, that all the congregation of the children of Israel may be obedient. And he shall stand before Eliezer the priest, who shall ask counsel for him after the judgment of Urim before the Lord. Now the Urim, you may recall, uh, were lights in the priest's breastplate that caused the different colored gemstones to light up in various sequences, um, thus allowing the Yahwehlians to communicate with the Israelites uh, remotely via coded message. Now, according to the Roman Jewish historian Flavius Josephus, who lived from 37 AD to around 100 AD, there were two gemstones called sardonyxes uh, that the high priest wore on his shoulders, like buttons on his shoulders, to uh, hold his ephod up. <laughs> and the one on the right shoulder uh, indicated the presence of God uh, by emitting bright rays darting out thence and being seen even by those that were most remote, which splendor yet was not before natural to the stone. Now, are these two stones on his shoulders, the Urim and the Tumim? And which one is which? Well, he doesn't say. Uh, he doesn't say they're the Urim or the Tumim. He doesn't mention that. But he does go on to mention, um, quote, What is still more wonderful than this? For God declared beforehand by those twelve stones which the high priest bear on his breast, and which were inserted into his breastplate when they should be victorious in battle. For so great a splendor shone forth from them before the army began to march that all the people were sensible of God's being present for their assistance. Whence it came to pass that those Greeks who had a veneration for our laws, because they could not possibly contradict this, 
called the breastplate the oracle. Now this breastplate and this sardonyx left off shining 200 years before I composed this book, God having been displeased at the transgressions of his laws. Unquote. <laughs> yeah, well, either that or the battery finally ran down. Now, let me go back and read this whole verse again because I had erupted it right in the middle and you probably don't remember how it started. It goes, And he shall stand before Eleazar the priest, who shall ask counsel for him after the judgment of Urim before the Lord. At his word shall they go out, and at his word they shall come in, both he and all the children of Israel with him, even all the congregation. It's talking about Eleazar here, which implies that Joshua wasn't all-powerful or wasn't going to be all-powerful. He couldn't just do whatever he wanted to. He had to run it by the high priest first. And then the high priest had to run it by the Yoelians, either in person or by using the Urim, Tumim, and the, the oracle breastplate. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him, and he took Joshua and set him before Eleazar the priest and before all the congregation. And he laid his hands upon him and gave him a charge as the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses. And that's the end of chapter 27. Chapter 28. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel and say unto them, my offering and my bread for my sacrifices made by fire for a sweet savor unto me shall ye observe to offer unto me in their due season. And thou shalt say unto them, This is the offering made by fire which ye shall offer unto the Lord. Two lambs of the first year without spot, day by day, for a continual burnt offering. The one lamb shalt thou offer in the morning, and the other lamb shalt thou offer at even. And a tenth part of an ephah of flour for a meat offering, mingled with the fourth part of an hen of beaten oil. It is a continual burnt offering which was obtained in Mount Sinai for a sweet savor, a sacrifice made by fire unto the Lord. And the drink offering thereof shall be the fourth part of an hen for the one lamb. In the holy place shalt thou cause the strong wine to be poured unto the Lord for a drink offering. You know, so there's meat, uh, there's bread, and there's wine. You know, it's a full meal. Why are they making sacrifices of full meals if nobody's consuming them? And the other lamb shalt thou offer at even, as the meat offering of the morning, and as the drink offering thereof, thou shalt offer it, a sacrifice made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. And on the Sabbath day, two lambs of the first year without spot, and two tenth deals of flour for a meat offering, mingled with oil, and the drink offering thereof. This is the burnt offering of every Sabbath beside the continual burnt offering and his drink offering. And then it goes on to say what the offerings need to be on the first day of every month 
and on every Passover and on every feast day and on every uh, first day of the first fruits, etc. And it goes on like that through the end of chapter 28. Uh, so we're going to skip over all that. It's so repetitious. And then chapter 29 begins this way. And in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, ye shall have an holy convocation. Ye shall do no servile work. It is a day of blowing the trumpets unto you. And ye shall offer a burnt offering for a sweet savor unto the Lord, one young bullock, one ram, and seven lambs of the first year without blemish. And their meat offering shall be a flour mingled with oil, three-tenth deals for a bullock, and two-tenth deals for a ram. And one-tenth deal for one lamb throughout the seven lambs and one kid of the goats for a sin offering to make an atonement for you, beside the burnt offering of the month and his meat offering and the daily burnt offering and his meat offering and their drink offerings according unto their manner for a sweet savor, a sacrifice made by fire unto the Lord. And ye shall have on the tenth day of this seventh month an holy convocation, and ye shall afflict your souls you shall not do any work therein. And then it goes into what the offerings need to be on this 10th day of the seventh month and um, what they need to be on the 15th day of the seventh month and then what they need to be for the week of fasting, which is the seven days immediately following the 15th day of the seventh month. And again, it's all very repetitious and tedious, so I'm going to skip over all that, uh, all the way down to verse 39. These things ye shall do unto the Lord in your set feasts beside your vows and your freewill offerings for your burnt offerings and for your meat offerings and for your drink offerings and for your peace offerings. And Moses told the children of Israel according to all that the Lord commanded Moses. And that's the end of chapter 29. Chapter 30. And Moses spake unto the heads of the tribes concerning the children of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord hath commanded. If a man vow a vow unto the Lord, or swear an oath to bind his soul with a bond, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceedeth out of his mouth. If a woman also vow a vow unto the Lord and bind herself by a bond, being in her father's house in her youth, and her father hear her vow and her bond wherewith she hath bound her soul, and her father shall hold his peace at her, then all her vows shall stand and every bond wherewith she hath bound her soul shall stand. But if her father disallow her in the day that he heareth, not any of her vows or of her bonds wherewith she hath bound her soul shall stand, and the Lord shall forgive her, because her father disallowed her. And if she had it all an husband when she vowed, or uttered aught out of her lips wherewith she bound her soul, and her husband heard it, and held his peace at her in the day that he heard it, then her vows shall stand, and her bonds wherewith she bound her soul shall stand. But if her husband disallowed her on the day that he heard it, 
Then he shall make her vow which she vowed, and that which she uttered with her lips, wherewith she bound her soul, of none effect, and the Lord shall forgive her. But every vow of a widow, and of her that is divorced, wherewith they have bound their souls, shall stand against her. And if she vowed in her husband's house, or bound her soul by a bond with an oath, and her husband heard it, and held his peace at her, and disallowed her not, then all her vows shall stand, and every bond wherewith she bound her soul shall stand. So what this all comes down to is that the father or the husband had veto power over whatever legal agreements a woman might make. But he had to exercise that veto immediately. Otherwise, the agreement would stand. See, he didn't have a pocket veto. (laughs) But if her husband hath utterly made them void on the day he heard them, then whatsoever proceedeth out of her lips concerning her vows or concerning the bond of her soul shall not stand. Her husband hath made them void, and the Lord shall forgive her. Every vow and every binding oath to afflict the soul, her husband may establish it, or her husband may make it void. But if her husband altogether hold his peace at her from day to day, then he establisheth all her vows or all her bonds which are upon her. He confirmeth them, because he held his peace at her in the day that he heard them. But if he shall any ways make them void after that he hath heard them, then he shall bear her iniquity. These are the statutes which the Lord commanded Moses between a man and his wife, between the father and his daughter, being yet in her youth in her father's house. And that's the end of chapter 30. Chapter 31. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Avenge the children of Israel of the Midianites. Afterward shalt thou be gathered unto thy people. So again, they're warning him he's going to die soon. But first, there are some loose ends that he needs to tie up. But you know, this is only the fourth book of the five books of Moses. So you, you, you wouldn't expect his death to be imminent. I mean, this is like, you know, foreshadowing at, at the beginning of the final season, you know, that he's going to die. Well, he's got a long way to go before he dies yet, if, if, uh, if that's any indication. And Moses spake unto the people, saying, Arm some of yourselves unto the war, and let them go against the Midianites, and avenge the Lord of Midian. Of every tribe a thousand, throughout all the tribes of Israel, shall ye send to the war. So there were delivered out of the thousands of Israel a thousand of every tribe, twelve thousand armed for war. And Moses sent them to the war, a thousand of every tribe, them and Phinehas, the son of Eleazar the priest, to the war, with the holy instruments and the trumpets to blow in his hand. So Phineas was like the commander-in-chief. Now remember, he's the one that took the javelin or the spear and, and, shisked, <laughs> and shish-kebobbed the Israelite man and the Midianite woman that he caught in bed together. So, you know, probably a good choice to lead this uh, 
uh, campaign. I would call it a crusade, but that's anti-historical. And they warred against the Midianites as the Lord commanded Moses, and they slew all the males. And they slew the kings of Midian beside the rest of them that were slain, namely Evi and Rechim and Zur and Hur and Reba, five kings of Midian. Balaam also, the son of Beor, they slew with the sword. Now, I'm not sure why Balaam the soothsayer would be mentioned here along with these five kings. Uh, seems out of place, and that might be uh, a later uh, insertion into the text by some overzealous uh, monk, editor, whatever. And the children of Israel took all the women of Midian captives and their little ones and took the spoil of all their cattle and all their flocks and all their goods. And they burnt all their cities wherein they dwelt and all their goodly castles with fire. And they took all the spoil and all the prey, both of men and of beasts. And they brought the captives and the prey and the spoil unto Moses and Eleazar the priest and unto the congregation of the children of Israel, unto the camp at the plains of Moab, which are by Jordan near Jericho. And Moses and Eleazar the priest and all the princes of the congregation went forth to meet them without the camp. And Moses was wroth with the officers of the host, with the captains over thousands and captains over hundreds, which came from the battle. And Moses said unto them, Have ye saved all the women alive? Behold, these caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to commit trespass against the Lord in the matter of Peor. And there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord. So there's Balaam again popping up, uh, and again in a negative light. That, that are, the original story, you know, he was pretty positive, you know, where he refused to put a... Um, curse on the Israelites and, and ended up blessing them instead, you know, and then there was all that stuff about meeting the angel in the road and the and his uh, ass being bulky and going off, running off the road and, and it ended up talking, oh, it was just, you know, just crazy stuff. But, but here he's being shown again in a negative light and it's implying that he encouraged uh, relations between the Israelite men and the Midianite women. And, uh, you know, maybe that was mentioned somewhere else in a book that has been lost or, or at least was not selected to be a part of the Bible. I don't know. I don't remember that being mentioned anywhere else. And, and again, maybe this is another uh, late insertion, you know, by uh, an overzealous scribe or something. But let's go on. Now therefore kill every male among the little ones and kill every woman that hath known man by lying with them. But all the women children that have not known a man by lying with him, keep alive for yourselves. <laughs> this is amazing. Moses, think about what he's telling them. Kill all the little boys and all the... Uh, female non-virgins, but you can keep the, you know, the virgin little girls for your own use. 
You know, we we, uh, usually think of Moses as being very virtuous, but he doesn't seem very virtuous right about now. Uh, (laughs) I don't know what his problem is. Maybe he was all out of sorts because uh, the Yahwehlians kept telling him that he was going to die soon and he didn't get to go to the promised land. I don't know. It just turned into a crotchety old man, you know, bit of a tyrant, bit of a tyrant. (laughs) And do ye abide without the camp seven days, whosoever hath killed any person and whosoever hath touched any slain, purify both yourselves and your captives on the third day and on the seventh day and purify all your raiment and all that is made of skins and all work of goat's hair and all things made of wood. And Eleazar the priest said unto the men of war which went to the battle, This is the ordinance of the law which the Lord commanded Moses. Only the gold and the silver, the brass, the iron, the tin, and the lead. Everything that may abide the fire, ye shall make it go through the fire, and it shall be clean. Nevertheless, it shall be purified with the water of separation." And all that abideth not the fire, ye shall make go through the water. So what it's saying is that if if you have something that needs to be purified and it'll stand up to the fire, the fire won't destroy it, purify it with the fire first and then with the water of separation. But if the fire is going to destroy it, then just use only the water of separation. And ye shall wash your clothes on the seventh day, and ye shall be clean, and afterward ye shall come into the camp. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take the sum of the prey that was taken, both of man and of beast, thou and Eleazar the priest, and the chief fathers of the congregation, and divide the prey into two parts, between them that took the war upon them, who went out to battle, and between all the congregation. And levy a tribute unto the Lord of the men of war which went out to battle, one soul of five hundred, both of the persons and of the beeves and of the asses and of the sheep. Take it of their half and give it unto Eleazar the priest for an heave offering of the Lord. And of the children of Israel's half, Thou shalt take one portion of fifty of the persons, of the beeves, of the asses, and of the flocks, of all manner of beasts, and give them unto the Levites, which keep the charge of the tabernacle of the Lord. And Moses and Eleazar the priest did as the Lord commanded Moses. Well, that seems like a good place to stop, and we're about out of time, so we will... uh, Pick it up next time in the next verse, uh, Numbers 31, 32. Well, Numbers chapter 31, verse 32. Until then, keep the faith. Follow all the laws if, if you have laws to cover your situation. And uh, if you don't, ask for some new ones. <laughs>